Good morning, West Liberty. Second week that we've been able to get back together here at the church, and uh, it's been good that we've been able to do so. Uh, it's still kind of awkward. We still can't hug, can't shake hands, but at least we're back in the church, unlike many churches that still can't do it, especially in the state of Illinois. And uh, we feel for them. We hope that they get back to church soon. But it's good to be back here as we worship together. This morning we want to talk about, I think we will agree, and the sermon of the title is simply, we agree that we need the church, especially over the past several weeks as we have missed church and not been able to come to church. And like I said earlier, it's been good to get back into church, doing live worship uh, with one another. But even today, as we look uh, here in a minute at Acts 2, 41 and 42, and several other scriptures this morning, Many people today still claim that they don't need the church in order to be a Christian. And there's so many reasons people have. Uh, a lot of people will stay. Uh, it's hypocrisy. Uh, there are too many hypocrites in the church or that there's corruption in the church or we just don't like what's going on in the church. Uh, maybe it's something that's happening. Maybe changes that are happening in the church and we just don't like it. And we don't need the church to be a Christian. But we have to also keep in mind, even in Jesus' day when they were going to the synagogue, that they had hypocrites there also. They had what Jesus called bad guides or blind guides because uh, they just were doing what they wanted to do, not what God wanted them to do. So remember, even in Jesus' day, he condemned the hypocrisy. He didn't like the bad guides. In fact, he rebuked them also and told them to do what they needed to do. But that didn't keep him or even the other disciples from going to the synagogue and having church the way they did it then. But other people will also say that they'll be able to have church by other means, uh, through technology. Exactly what we're doing right here. You're watching a sermon on Facebook, and I'm so glad that you are here, that you're joining us on Facebook. I'm glad I can able to do that uh, for that. But I want you to understand, I still think it's important that we still find a church home, a church family. Because what we're going to read here in a minute talks about devoting ourselves to certain things that we have to do together, that we need to do together, that just makes it better when we come together and do worship. But other people will also say, I worship God wherever I am. I serve God in my own way. I'm nice to people. I try to help people. And they'll say, that's my church. Or I'll attend a church in nature, you know, uh, when I'm golfing, when I'm fishing, when I'm doing all those other things, sitting in a deer stand, you'll say, I do church that way. But is that God's design for us? Do those things really work and constitute an acceptable alternative to our worship and our membership in a church? Now, I know my answer, but this morning, let's look at, see what the scriptures has to say about it. Our text this morning is Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. Listen to what Paul says. He says, To those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Then a few verses later, Paul says, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, we understand that Paul is talking about the church. It's on the day of Pentecost, the day Jesus established the church. But since that time, it said the Lord has been adding to their number daily the saved people that has come into the church. And he's still doing that today. 
He still wants people to come into church to do that very thing it says in Acts 2.41, to accept his message and to be baptized. Since that day, he added 3,000 to their numbers. And it's happening every day. Every time we get together at some place, at some time, somebody's being added to their numbers. These verses indicate that those who are being added to the church began attending by going to a functioning local body of believers that's united in Christ. Even as the gospel began to be spread throughout Judea and ultimately the whole Roman Empire in years to come, local bodies of believers were being established. In other words, churches were being planted, and that's what the local church is. So the question I guess I have for us this morning is this. Is this model, is this idea of church still relevant today? Or can one be a Christian and choose not to be part of the life and the activity of a local church? Again, I know what my answer would be. But again, let's look at see what the scriptures have to say. When you see the word church throughout scripture, it means many different things. But a couple of the things that it means is one, it means ecclesia. It means called out. It means the assembly of believers coming together. So one way when you look at the church, it's talking about us being called out of the world to be different as we're Christians and as we're believers, that we're in assembly together. And there's other aspects that talks about the spiritual sense that we have. For example, it is used to refer to all the saved called out of the world and spiritually assembled in Christ and because of Christ. In fact, many of the times the word church is used in scripture, uh, this is how it's used. Actually, Mark or Paul says in Acts 14, 23, he says in each church, talk about when they appointed elders in each of the churches. In Acts 14, 27, they talk about the church together, you know, coming together. They gathered together. In Acts 15, 4, welcomed by the church. In Acts 18, 22, greeted the church. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, Paul says to the church at Corinth, he talks about a specific church. 1 Corinthians 16, 1, talks about collection for the Lord's people, talking about the church. 1 Corinthians 16, 9, the churches of a providence of Asia. In other words, an area of churches where it says the church that meets at their house. Talk about house churches. Romans 16, 16, Paul says, the churches of Christ sends greetings. You see, by using terms as in that last passage, the churches of Christ sends greeting, Paul means the congregation of God's people everywhere. Talk about all churches that meet together to worship. Each reference maybe refers to distinct churches, maybe different cities, Maybe big churches, small churches, city churches, country churches, house churches. Maybe churches that meet in garage or movie theaters. Any church that gets together and worships together is the church we're talking about. Paul makes comments in 1 Corinthians where he's talking more specifically to the church as the people of a congregation meeting together in an assembly. In 1 Corinthians 14, 19, Paul says, but in the church... So in other words, when you're in the church, he said, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in tongue. In other words, words people can't understand. I'd rather have 10 good words, of positive words, of words that we can understand and take to heart than words we never understand. When Paul says in the church, he's referring to the actual physical, the form of a congregation of churches throughout the world. We need to be part of a faithful and active part of the local church for a lot of different reasons. 
And I want to give you four really quick this morning. Number one is this. We need to be part of a church because of the church's relationship with Jesus. Now, the Bible uses a lot of metaphors to describe the church and its nature, its mission, its design, its relationship to the Lord. In one area, Matthew 20, it's called a vineyard. Kind of gives us this idea that we work for the gardener. We work together to take care of this garden or this vineyard, if you will. And it kind of gives us that idea that we work together at this. In Ephesians 5, 23 through 27, and also Revelations 22, 17, he talks about the bride of Christ. How this is a, a spiritual union. How it's indivisible union between Christ and the church that we actually say in Scripture that no man can separate in marriage. And it's the same with the church. Or refers to the kingdom of God in Mark 9, 1. Hebrews 12, 28, pointing to the rule of Christ over his subjects, which make up the church, that we as believers. Even in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and Ephesians 2, 21, the church is the temple of God. In other words, it's a place where God dwells. It's where he is worshipped, where he is praised. But even with all these descriptions, we can see how God sees the church. And he sees the church, the physical church, as important. That's a place where we come together and we devote ourselves. And those are words we need to understand a little bit better. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. When we're devoted to something, nothing's going to take that place. We're not going to miss church because we want to do other things. But it's going to be so important to us, we're going to be devoted to it. In fact, Paul says in Acts 20, 28, he says, Keep watch over yourselves. And all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Yes, he's talking about elders. He's talking about all these things. But he's saying that last part, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So folks, if the church is that important to God, that it would take the blood of a son to bring it into an existence, shouldn't it be as important to us as well? that it took the blood of Jesus to bring the church into being. The second thing I want you to see is this. Because the church is a living and functioning body of Christ. It's living. It's functioning. It means we're working together. It's another metaphor the Bible uses to describe church, and he does so, and it says, as a body. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. Listen to what he says. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Paul is talking about a local church right here at Corinth. The Corinthian church, yes, had trouble. They had a multitude of problems going on. We see jealousy. We can see competitive glory-seeking spirit among the people, among the members. In other words, believers were comparing one person's gifts to another. In other words, you had this group over one side that said, we have this gift. And these other on this side said, we have these gifts. And one side won the other's gifts. And maybe the other side was kind of flaunting those things that we have as more important. So this caused even more problems in their assembly. Confusion, chaos which brought a strong rebuke from Paul. Paul tells them that instead, they should understand the nature and the function of the congregation. He says, we should understand we are part of one body. Different jobs, yes, 
but we're formed one body. Paul says further in 1 Corinthians 12, 15 through 18. He says, now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So understand what Paul is saying. We all belong to a body. We all belong to Christ's body. We're all connected to that. But he has us other places doing the work he has called us to do. We have a purpose. We have a reason to be part of the church. And it's more than just to take up space. It's more than just to have a, a place in the pew. It means that we have a work to do that God has called us to. You see, we need the church. But also understand that the church needs you. Each one of us doing our part. And that's incredibly important to keep in mind. All during the work, but under the head, Jesus. You see, each part, Paul says. I don't care if it's an eye, an ear, a nose, a hand, a foot. Paul says each part is vital to the proper and healthy functioning of a body. That's why I said earlier, I think it's important that, yeah, we may watch different people on Facebook or YouTube or other venues, but it's still important to be part of a local church. And I understand there's a lot of different things that draws to a church. There's other things that we like, things we don't like. I don't care if you have to drive a little bit. Find the church that you can be part of. Find the church you can be involved in. So you're connected to the body of Christ. But guess what Paul says a few verses later in 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 27. Why it's important that we're connected to the body, and that is Christ. He says, so there should be no division in the body, division in the body. But that's its part shouldn't have equal concern for each other. It says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And I would say you're an important part of it. And that's what we've got to understand. The third thing is this. Because God has commanded you to do things that only can be done by coming together within the church. Paul says in Hebrews 10, 25, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So how do we encourage each other? I think by assembling together with them. I shared this morning at our uh, actual worship service that we were able to do live that the last several weeks coming into the church on Sunday, preaching to an empty congregation uh, or an empty sanctuary was hard to do. And now the last couple of weeks, I've gotten to come in, turn the lights on, watch people start to come in, watch the sanctuary start to fill up. Does my heart good? And I think I need that. I know coming from a preacher, that's one thing. But I think it does all of us some good when we can even look across the aisle, look across the sanctuary and see somebody sitting there that maybe we've missed. That just by seeing them makes our day. So yes, we encourage other people by assembling together. But the Hebrew writer also writes in Acts 20 verse 7, or the Paul writes, on the first day of the week, we come together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. But he says on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when the disciples came together, the very language indicates this was their custom. 
This is what they were used to doing, that on Sunday, on the first day of the week, they would come together and they would break bread together. So that would be, have occurred on the first day of the week. Again, it was their regular practice. They met on the Lord's Day and they partook of the Lord's Supper. And then they heard Paul preach on that particular Lord's Day. So when did they break bread? It's when they came together. And folks, that's very significant, that when we come together. You see, a lot of people miss this aspect of communion as a joint participation with the church. You know, yes, we do it in worship on Sundays, but you can also do communion on a small group. Maybe you're meeting in a house and you're having devotions, and for whatever reason, you're led to have communion. I want you to say, that's okay, because where two or three are gathered in his name, he will be there also. You're remembering the bread and the cup, the body and the blood, and what Jesus did for us. But we do it as a church family. You can do it by yourself. I've done it by myself when I've needed that time. Even in the last several weeks, as Sonder and I have stayed home and we've listened to different sermons and different worship services, we partake of communion together, and that's nice and that's good, but I miss taking communion together with my church family, being able to come together and do those things. You see, the very word communion means a common sharing. So it requires a congregation of people coming together to share this divine meal at a point of time. Again, it could be different areas. It could be different ways. It could be in small groups. It could be in large groups. Maybe somebody's in a hospital or at home sick where they couldn't make it and we take communion to them. That's all part of it. But I think the main idea is we gather together to do these things. You see, when we come together, we're doing what we're supposed to do. As Paul said in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to four different things, and communion was one. But we have come together when we have the right heart and the right attitude. You see, the church at Corinth wasn't doing the right thing. A lot of their desires was in the flesh. Remember, we talked about the different things going on, that this group had this, and this group had that, and they were mad at each other. They wanted what other people had. Pretty petty things, if you ask me. Kind of desires of the flesh, if you will. So when they were doing communion, they were just kind of going through the motion. But even today, when we have come together with everything we do in our worship, we take each other into the presence of God through the songs we sing, through the sermon that we, we listen to. It should get us to the same place, and that is into the presence of God. You see, communion should be one of those deals that we want to start the week, every week, worshiping together, coming around the Lord's table, and partaking of communion together. It's a meal, it's called. And I don't know about you, but I don't miss too many meals. I like to eat. So I don't miss too many meals. And it should be that same way, that same desire that we should want to come together, to worship together, to do those things together, to commune together, to encourage each other and to fellowship. You see, we need to get our focus on Jesus so that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we do so unified. The last thing I want you to see very quickly is this. It's because of the accountability that it provides. See, I think it's impossible to live a spiritual isolation. We just can't do it. Not only that, but it's wrong to do. Paul says in Romans 14, 7, For none of us lives our, for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. We have to be accountable. Accountability is vital. But so many people don't want that accountability. They don't want other people to know what they do. They don't want other people, especially at church, to know how they live. They may do one thing at church, but they live another way out in life. And if you don't believe me, just look at Facebook. People will post things on Facebook they would never say in church for whatever reason. 
So understand accountability is truly necessary so that we can be the people God has called us to be. So you see, we need the church. No matter what people try to tell you or how tempting it is to think otherwise, we need the church. It was designed, built by Christ, revealed by the Holy Spirit. It is kept and preserved in the power and the grace of God. And I want to encourage you to seek to be part of a church today. Find that church, find that church family, and do what God has called you to do. Folks, take care. God bless. We'll see you next week.